This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Nine Lives with Dr. Cat is brought to you by Heroes for Healthy Pets. We're passionate about your pet's health. And by Fear Free Pets and iHeartCats.com. Hello, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Catherine Prim, and I am a small animal veterinarian and cat lover. I'd like to make this show sort of a service to cat lovers to talk about things that you hear in the news or read on the internet that maybe confuse you a little bit about what you need to do to keep your cat happy and healthy. And I have a guest with me today who is a unique expert to discuss with me a hot button topic. And that topic is vaccination. So we're going to get together today and bust some myths about cat vaccines, the good, the bad, and the ugly after this word from our sponsors. Hi friends, this is Dr. Marty Becker, America's Veterinarian. After a traumatic experience at the veterinary office, have you ever thought to yourself, there has to be a better way? When your veterinarian is fear-free certified, you'll find your pet's vet visit is safer, more comfortable, and actually enjoyable. Your dog will go from shaking in the lobby to pulling you into the exam room with a wagon tail, and your cat will be purring inside the carrier. To find a certified fear-free veterinarian near you, go to fearfreepets.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. So I have with me today Dr. Jason Stull, and I'm going to let him tell you why he's here with me today to talk about feline vaccination. Welcome, Dr. Stull. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be with you. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and your credibility. Sure. So I'm a veterinary epidemiologist. Um, So what that means is I have a veterinary degree. I also have some additional degrees. I have a degree, a master's in veterinary preventative medicine. So that gives me insight into diseases and the way that they're transmitted, how to study those diseases. Um, I also have a, a PhD in veterinary infectious diseases. And I've worked in a variety of settings. I've worked in public health for a number of years. Um, And most recently, I've been in the Ohio State University in the College of Veterinary Medicine. And I'm in the Department of Preventative Medicine or Veterinary Preventative Medicine. Well, that is really cool. So I'm so glad that you're here because I feel like if there is a person on this planet that can help dispel vaccination myths, then you are he or you are him. So I'd like to start with maybe giving my listeners a little bit of background about how immune systems work and how diseases work and why vaccines came about. 
Sure. It is a confusing and complicated topic, and I'm going to try and distill it into kind of the key components that I think uh, will help us all to better understand the topic and so we can we can talk about it. So all of a sudden, some people might start kind of twitching because it's going to bring you back to high school biology, but that's an okay thing. So as you may remember, we have a lot of different ways that cats, just like us, can get disease-causing organisms into our bodies. And so we may they may eat them, they may sniff them or go into their nose and into their lungs, or they may have contact with them through their skin. So in one of those different ways, this potential organism can get into a cat's body. And if it's the type of organism that causes disease, it begins to replicate. And so that one virus or that one bacteria becomes many, many, many bacteria and viruses within the cat. The cat's job or its body is to fight off infection. And so they naturally can do that with a variety of things just like us. And so they have what are called B cells and T cells. And so these are different types of cells that make up their immune system. And these cells will specifically do that. They work together, they bring in other kinds of signaling proteins and can effectively identify what are considered foreign material or these types of bacteria viruses and then eventually to kill them. This can generally take you know, multiple days that it can occur. And of course, it does take some period of time while the actual replication of these viruses or bacteria happen. So if the animal is successful over this period of time, it's become probably sick at some point, but eventually it's been able to stop the infection. And that's great. The key part of the immune system and what makes us so great as animals and, and our pets as our cats as animals as well is that they have the ability to remember and to have what's called memory. And so let's say that that same animal gets infected again with that same organism. So maybe it's panleukopenia, which is a, a really nasty disease in cats, also called feline parvovirus. And so let's say it's that disease. And so the first time the cat got really, really sick, but fortunately it lived through that event, it built up immunity. So now its B cells and its T cells are ready. And so once that foreign object, that foreign bacteria, or so in this case virus, gets into the cat system, it doesn't take weeks. It only takes potentially a couple of days to a couple of hours. So it can respond extremely quickly and it can stop that virus from replicating further. So that is a success. So the animal has built up a natural immunity to this foreign product. And the concept there is that's a great process. We all do that naturally. But wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to deal with that first really, really severe illness? Um, because sometimes, as we all know, there are diseases that happen in cats that can unfortunately kill them or severely injure them. It can lead to certainly, you know, reduced appetites and all other things, even if it doesn't, if it doesn't kill them, it can dramatically reduce their quality of life. So what if we can stimulate those same B cells and T cells with another thing that won't cause them to be severely ill, but will still give them that memory that we really want so that if they do get infected with that virus or that bacteria in the future, bam, their immune system is ready and it will dramatically uh, immediately attack that new virus and that new bacteria and kill it. So that's the concept of vaccines is that we want to use a product that ideally doesn't cause severe disease in our pets, but helps them build up a quick immune system and a quick immune response to fight off that invading organism. So the idea of vaccines really just keeps your cat from having to suffer in order to mount that immune response. So 
That's a really, really good thing. And I appreciate you explaining that a little bit because I'm pretty sure that my listeners have heard about vaccinations and their veterinarians have recommended vaccinations, but they're barraged with other information like vaccines are dangerous or vaccines cause this or that or the other thing. And I just want my listeners to know how to make good choices for their cats. Can you talk a little bit about some of the rumors about vaccination and why it it has gotten uh, sort of a bad reputation? Sure. And and I mean, I think vaccines are tricky. So they're a, a drug like anything else. And there are definitely a lot of health benefits. I mean, when we think about just humans and, and our ability to what has happened over the last, you know, several decades, the last several hundred years in terms of human health, we wouldn't be where we are without the importance of vaccines. And the same thing is true with our feline friends. So they are a drug and they do have important health benefits. There, of course, can be like anything, there can be side effects that can occur, and these do sometimes occur. So one of, I think, the myths is that vaccines frequently cause adverse reactions, or in other words, I'm concerned to get my cat vaccinated because I'm really, really worried about what that vaccine is going to do to my cat in a negative way. And uh, we have a variety of ways in veterinary medicine of following that type of information. So we have regulatory bodies who whose job it is to follow that information. And over the last several years, there have actually been a number of really good studies to do that. So we're not talking about following a couple cats or even a couple hundred cats. We're talking about following hundreds of thousands of cats and what has happened to them after a vaccine. And so what we know is that Reactions such as fever can occur. Um, Cats may feel lethargic or just not really feeling super great for a couple of days um, after a vaccine. Those types of reactions happen in anywhere about between 20 and 50 cats per 10,000 cats vaccinated. Okay, so we need to really put it in perspective. It's very, very uncommon. And so, and there are ways that your veterinarian, uh, if if he or she is concerned about this as a possibility, can take some precautions to re- even reduce that further. So that's the number one thing: is that overall vaccines are extremely uh, safe and extremely effective. So can you say that one more time, that statistic, because I think that I can actually use that in my very own exam rooms. Absolutely. So data suggests that anywhere between 20 to 50 cats per 10,000 cats that are vaccinated. And so, again, remembering that in very, very rare circumstances, even within that group, there were some more severe reactions. So for instance, facial swelling, which again can be addressed as long as it's caught early, can easily be addressed with medications. For the most and majority of these, it's fever, it's maybe a little bit of discomfort at the injection site, those types of things. So, so again, recalling and putting in perspective how infrequent that really occurs. And also the cats that had the bad reaction, did they still get the benefit of being vaccinated? Are they still immune even though they did have that bad reaction? Absolutely. There's no reason to assume that they wouldn't be. So even though they may have a reaction to the vaccine, then their body would still mount that immune response and they would still go through that normal process. And and for veterinarians that have identified a patient, a cat that might be more susceptible to those types of things, as I mentioned, will make different decisions in the future about how we go about vaccinating that cat. So um, there are a lot of different types of vaccines that are out there and we may need to prioritize what are going to be the most important for this cat for its lifestyle. And I think it's very important for all the listeners to note that even if you have a swollen face, it really beats the heck out of having panleukopenia because 
your cat might not survive that disease. So I am a big fan of vaccinating and I believe that it makes a huge impact on my patients. So I agree with you. So you mentioned lifestyle and kind of tailoring the vaccinations that are administered to the individual pet. Can you go into that a little bit more? Absolutely. And I I think this maybe even comes in a little bit into myth two. And so myth two might be, you know, my cat was born uh, in a natural way. It required milk from its parents, from its mom, and therefore it should have a normal functioning, you know, immunity to these diseases that uh, that are out there. And it's important to recognize that yes, cats that do take in colostrum, so that first milk after birth, and do uh, feed off of milking during that process, do acquire maternal antibodies. So those are all these great infection-fighting cells that are passed along from mom. But the importance is that those really begin to wane or those begin to really reduce over about by 16 weeks of age, certainly. And so the key issue is that shortly after life, these kittens are going to be in, in a good position and going to be doing able to fight infection. But as that begins to wane over, that immune response begins to wane, we need to start thinking about how can we help this cat boost its immune response or to develop an immune response to some of these vaccines that we might be or these some of these diseases that we're worried about. So in most cases, we're starting to think about vaccination in around six to eight weeks of age. And then we're going to do that for some period of time. And then we're going to do that periodically throughout the cat's life. So get back to your question. What are some of the things that maybe a pet owner and a veterinarian are going to want to talk about when they start to think about what types of vaccines might be appropriate for my animal? And this is really a very personal decision. A lot of these things depend on where does that animal live? So what part of the country is that animal living in? Some of these diseases might be more frequent in some parts of the country than others. Is this going to be a specifically indoor-only cat, or is this cat going to have access to the outdoors? It makes a huge difference in terms of vulnerability to diseases. If this is an indoor-only cat, are there other cats in the household, so a multi-cat household, in which those cats might have the opportunity to go outside? Or does this cat, even though it's indoors, still, you know, it's an apartment complex and it goes and visits other cats in and around the apartments? So all of these different pieces begin to, to give us a better appreciation for what are the chances that this cat is going to have contact with the types of diseases that we're worried about and how sick that cat might be. So age, health of the cat, those types of things all come together and help a veterinarian and a client come up with the best strategy for preventing disease in that patient. So I love to say this, and it's my my favorite point to make, involve your own veterinarian in making these choices for your cat because your veterinarian is familiar with the diseases that are being seen in your area and also kind of familiar with you and your lifestyle and the way you and your cat kind of live together to help you make choices. So that is an excellent point. Do we have any guidelines that all veterinarians should consider about what vaccinations to recommend to their clients? Absolutely. There are some really well-respected guidelines that are out there. They're freely available. So certainly, you know, astute clients can definitely go on and also take a look. But Feline Practitioners Group, the AAFP, 
has got a, a series of guidelines specific to cats. And then there's also a group called Wasava, uh, which has information that is also about cats and uh, vaccine recommendations. And I think something that's also really important to touch on is, you know, people I think sometimes feel my cat doesn't go outside, therefore it's not likely to have any contact with some of these scary diseases that we talk about. Um, and one thing that's important to recognize is that many of these different types of viruses, specifically that we talk about with cats, can actually live in the environment, including on our own clothing or hands, for an extended period of time. For, for instance, the disease you mentioned, panleukopenia, which frightens all of us as veterinarians or cat owners, can live for weeks or months in the environment. I had a very personal encounter with panleukopenia. I feel very strongly about vaccinating because I adopted a rescue kitten who had not had any vaccines. And he was here at my animal hospital waiting to be cared for and um, kind of stayed up in my office. And a lady rushed in the door with a sick and dying stray kitten she had found. And to make a long story short, I rushed to the aid of the kitten and I wasn't really thinking about my own kitten. And I infected my kitten and he did not survive. So it was a, a very hard lesson for me to learn about that. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, those are horrible experiences and, and we all have them. And hopefully we can use that information again to help educate our clients about ways of, of protecting their pets. So I'm going to call out the elephant in the room because it is an issue and I'm, I'm almost sure my listeners know about it and want to hear about it. What about vaccines and cancers? Sure. No, that's a great question and one that really anyone that has been working on cats that has cats, um, definitely it's received a lot of attention over the last couple of decades and it's an important issue to try and understand. And so there are what are called sarcomas that seem to be occurring or have occurred where injections have, have occurred or have been placed. And so those can be vaccines, but the understanding is now that it's not just vaccines, it can be other types of injections that have occurred. The overall risk for that seems to be quite low. In other words, some of the data suggests that about one per 10,000 doses of vaccine that are delivered may result in what are called these injection site sarcomas. And at this point, there doesn't seem to be a relationship between a specific vaccine type, a specific brand, or various other components. But what we're doing in the, the cat world is we're trying to best address this as we can. And so part of that oftentimes involves deciding where we're going to actually give that vaccination or that injection. And so trying to be careful that we put those in places on a cat where one, we potentially can remove it if we need to, if it does result in a sarcoma and has the least impact on that animal's life. So there are guidelines about that too, and I'm familiar with those. And Everyone's individual veterinarian will, will know about that and certainly will invite and appreciate any questions that you might have. But I think that the take-home message is that the chances of a vaccine-associated cancer, they're just lower than the chances that even an indoor cat is going to be exposed to these diseases. Is that what you would think? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So it's a horrible situation when it occurs, but again, very, very extremely uncommon. And so if we're thinking about like we should be when we're talking about vaccinations, we're talking about a risk benefit. I would say the benefits of the vaccine clearly outweigh those risks that we've talked about. 
Wonderful. Let's take a quick break and get a word from our sponsors and come right back with Dr. Stoll to talk about vaccinations. Hey, cat people. Litter box smells always on your mind. Think about your cat, not the box, with World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that delivers big odor control in a tiny package. World's Best Cat Litter harnesses the concentrated power of corn to trap odors deep inside the litter. Ready to knock out smells and use less litter? Find World's Best Cat Litter at Target, Walmart, and in your local grocery and pet stores. It's not just a sneeze. It could be the pathway to disease. Your dog is at risk for contracting dog flu. That's why it's important to vaccinate your dog for dog flu. Get your dog vaccinated today. Visit dogflu.com for more information. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, cat lovers. We're here continuing our conversation about vaccination with Dr. Jason Stahl. So are there any other things you've talked a little bit about some sort of immediate side effects from vaccines? And then we've talked about vaccine um, associated sarcoma. Are there any other things that you think my listeners would like to know good, bad, ugly about vaccinations today? I think one of the things that can be challenging with vaccines is they're all created somewhat differently in that the diseases that we're targeting are also different. So for instance, people that have cats may know that in general, most people will vaccinate their cats for three key diseases, or these are called core diseases. And so that's panleukopenia, as we've talked about already, herpes virus and Khaleesi virus. And the vaccine that works for panleukopenia is an extremely great vaccine. It works very, very well. And we've been able to document in the literature that this immunity likely lasts for a long period of time. Whereas for Khaleesi virus and herpes virus, the immunity just doesn't last as long. And it's a combination of things. It's a different target that we're going after. So a different type of virus, it's more challenging to get that immunity to to stay up there. So sometimes when we're seeing and having a conversation with our veterinarian, there may be different recommendations for different types of vaccines. So in other words, the veterinarian may recommend getting one type of vaccine every several years and another type of vaccine more frequently depending on that cat's risk. So another example of how it's important to have a communication with your veterinarian because vaccination is not a one-size-fits-all opportunity, I don't think. Absolutely. And I, and I would also say if you have concerns, you have reservations, I think it needs to be an open dialogue. So you really need to talk to your vet and certainly let them appreciate what your worries might be. They may not be founded or they may be founded. And so the only way to really explore that and come up with a solution that you're going to feel comfortable with and that you're going to feel is going to give your animal the best protection that you feel is appropriate is to really have a very, very open discussion about these risks and benefits. Do you have any statistics at hand or in your mind about how frequently these diseases that we vaccinate for appear in our our populations of cats? 
Well, there are some good data that are actually beginning to come out. And so it's really challenging to oftentimes figure out how frequently they occur because, uh, for instance, they're not generally reportable, right? So we don't know as veterinarians how often they occur unless there are specific studies that look into them. And so it depends a lot on the cat population. So so for some of these types of diseases, it's not unusual for 5% or even higher of cats that are out in an area can actually be infected with these with these types of viruses. And so there's a group that is called CAPC, and it's C-A-P-C. And you can go to that website, and they actually are starting to track feline leukemia and FIV virus status based on certain types of tests. And so that can be a way for those types of diseases to get a better feel for kind of what's happening. But I think the biggest important message here is, although some of these viruses may not be incredibly common in our pet population, we certainly, when we see them, we definitely see them on these unvaccinated animals. And the results of these diseases are far more devastating than any possible negative component of the vaccination, in my opinion, and I think that you would agree with me. Absolutely. I remember when I was working in clinical medicine, I saw a kitten that had been born and shortly after birth had been exposed to panleukopenia. And so it causes an error. Basically, it attacks the cerebellum in the brain. And so this cat could not walk properly. It would fall over. I mean, it was just, it's, these are horrible, horrible circumstances and situations that happen. And, you know, I'm sure every veterinarian has got their stories of what they've seen. So, you know, it's really about how can we do the best for the best number of animals. That's kind of heartbreaking if you think about, you know, a $25 vaccine could have completely changed the outcome for that cat. And I think that happens every day. So I am very, very happy that you are with me today to talk about these things because I feel like people trust rumors and internet headlines in making decisions. And really the best answer is communication with their veterinarian. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, Dr. Google (laughs) has a place, but we have to be a little bit cautious. Um, Anybody can put information on the internet. And so going to reputable websites, if you have questions, bringing them up with your veterinarian, I think these are all really important ways of of making sure that the information you get is valid and defendable. I have a t-shirt that says I'm smarter than Dr. Google. (laughs) And I love it. It's my favorite t-shirt, but it's, you know, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but use the information that you find on the internet to start a conversation and ask, do not hesitate to reach out to your veterinarian or reach out to me. I'm, I'm out there on the internet. I will try to dispel the myths. And if I don't know the answer, then I reach out to people like Dr. Stoll to try to find out the answer. I really would love to thank you for joining me today. And I'd also like to thank our producer. Sir Mark Winner, who is always wonderful here on Pet Life Radio. And I just want you all to have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.